Season's greetings, everyone. My name is Bert. And I'm Fonz. And this is... Bert and Fonz. Tis the season where a lot of us are celebrating different holidays or different pastimes based on our religion and our culture. I mean, for a lot of us, Christmas is actually coming up in just a couple of days. Actually, um, in the northern hemisphere... um, what you celebrate is usually that it's winter, that it's really cold, and that you've survived or that you're going to make it through. Oh, especially in Minnesota. So, especially <laughs> especially in Minnesota. Although Canadians in Alaska tend to look down on us just like we condescend to look is down true. upon everybody else. That, that is true. But it is generally what people celebrate around these parts of the world is Christmas. Um, as of late, that has opened up to respect um, other cultures and persuasions. Thankfully, uh, yes. Correct. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that too coming up. But the one thing that I wanted to point out that we were talking about with this is uh, I recently watched a documentary with my daughter about the origins of Christmas. And um, a few years ago, actually, I could find it and put the link okay. um, there. But um, one thing that it said is with the, the origins of the celebration is that this is the darkest time of the the year. It's actually the winter solstice, what coincides with what we celebrate. And by darkest, you mean like the longest night that's going to happen throughout yeah, the year. Yeah. And no, but I also mean it in a figurative way that it's colder. It's, you know, traditionally, if you sure, sure, in sure. the northern part of the world, the feasting comes from the fact that we're all indoors, we have a big chimney going, and we're celebrating together, we're all together going like, hey, we're alive, we're going to make it together, let's just feast, we can't go outside and do anything anyway, because it's really cold, Right. so let's fucking eat, you know, it's, it's kind of close to the human hibernation thing, Right. you know, we're just like, let's grease up a little bit, let's get some calories in us, um, feast on what we've been saving up to make it through the winter, and make yep. these, the darker three days, make them enjoyable, and, and, make, and so it's kind of a little bit of of a, a demented jamboree to kind of get you through but it makes days. sense it totally makes sense it totally makes sense and then so that piles up over time yeah and Christmas or not Christianity or not is what I mean to say is what you see is in different cultures how everybody just does this whole survival celebration That's absolutely kind of what it is absolutely so. So I want to point that out, and we will explore that in more detail coming up. But first, I want to talk to you about... You about to say, you had something else you want to talk about first. Yes. I wanted to talk <laughs> to you and to everybody about this. Yeah, just so you know, he pulls me aside like five minutes before we're about to record and goes, hey, 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 I know we're going to talk about this, but... I got something I want to show you. I think I think you all want to see this. So, <laughs> one thing that's always been um, fascinating to me is there's this uh, bizarre instrument that we have in Spain that is part of the caroling tradition. Okay. And uh, and I've always wondered where it came from because whenever I present it to a friend of mine here in this country or outside of Spain, for that matter, in general, the reactions are pretty um, funny. Okay. So I got some gifts here that I'm going to show you and we'll put them up on the screen too. And I want you to react to them. This instrument is called the Zambomba and it's an integral part of the Spanish... Um, <laughs> And that makes a sound, too. Wait wait a minute. This is an instrument? Yeah, it's called a sambomba. And I've always wondered... Yeah. Uh, Just for everyone that's not looking at this right now... um, Essentially, it uh, looks like a dude holding a, a, a woven basket 
with uh, um, it's actually a ceramic basket. Uh, okay, so a ceramic basket uh, with a thin broomstick coming out of the top of it, and he's just sort of sliding his hand up and down on it. Uh, I will leave that to your imagination as to what it looks like, but it's exactly what you're thinking it looks like. And in fact, uh, what he's holding on the other hand is a little bit uh, a bottle of water. Here, here's another gift. Let it looks see. like a baby's pacifier. Yeah, well, look, it's actually a bottle of water. Look at this guy. Oh wow, he really knows how to. So he's making. He knows how to work it. Yeah, he's making the parody because I mean, obviously, you don't do this in a concerto type um, jacket <laughs> with shit music. Well, if, the screwed up tie kind of led me to believe it was a parody. Yeah. So this gift comes from a parody video that used to be online, and if you notice, there's a white bowl next to it. Yeah, yeah. That white bowl contains water. Where he actually dips his hand to get it wet, so that when he rubs on the little cane, so what you have is. <laughs> so you're saying it doesn't work if. It's not wet. No, it doesn't at all. It, it, and yep. And, and all right. The sound here. I, I want to show you the sound it makes. And uh, oh, you have like a video clip. We'll okay. Put, yeah, I, I got a video clip here for you now. We're just gonna put the first initial seconds. But these are well, not these are some guys in Spain playing a carol in the middle of the holiday season. Okay. Right? And and this is what it sounds like. <laughs> So if your hand isn't wet, see how that guy has a bottle of water in his hand? So is, is wait, is he like a fluffer? Is he like a water boy for all these other guys? <laughs> well, because the other thing that you would do is spit on your hand, but like the, these guys are too proper to do oh, that. There is, that is a lot of white dudes standing around engaging in this activity in public. So this sound, yes. So this sound is part of the rhythm of the traditional rhythm of <laughs> Chris McCarley. And the beauty of this is that... The most conservative um, Christian part of Spain will actually do this like straight-faced. Really? And they will make no puns about it because this is so ingrained in the culture. And this sound like a walk, 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 walk. That's part of the rhythm. Does it sound like a, a wah-wah sort of thing? Uh, or? <laughs> oh, okay. we just We just heard it on the speakers. They, they've heard it. So, yeah. it's a, yeah. If you don't have your hand with so pe- people usually spit on their hand to do that. But if you're better, if you have better manners, what you do is you dip your hand in, in a little bowl of water. Because otherwise... All you do is will burn your hand against that cane. Right. Well, yeah, because it's just friction, right? Right. So, so it's like trying to start a fire with two sticks otherwise. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> and so for those that are just listening, uh, I will expand on Bert's description of it. It's imagine a plant pot made of clay. Um, and sometimes they are they just put like engrave it. Um, engrave it. Sorry. Um, uh, embroidering. Is that what, what you call it? Knit knit fabric around it. That's what okay. You, sure. That's why you thought it was a knit thing, but it's actually over a ceramic. Well, thing. yeah, that's why I thought it was like a, a woven basket. Woven, yeah. It's so they, they weave um, little um, jackets that they put around. Okay, it. that's what okay. that, those are. And it has a patch of skin, usually goat skin, just like a drum over the top. Yeah, over the top. And in the middle of that patch, of, so imagine a drum made up of a pot yeah, yeah. thing. And in the middle of it, there is a little cane. It just comes out at the top. Yeah, they just insert it, and then that makes the sound against the the patch. Right. So this is a thambomba, and I always wondered, that's a weird-sounding name for Spanish. It sounds very African, in fact. Mm-hmm. And indeed, that's what, what its origin is. So I finally found it in the Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. But how did it... This how did it make it a way over to Spain drum. Well, to become so popular? Well, first off, first off, remember that Spain is... 
through Gibraltar. Through, through well, of Gibraltar I, I, I could understand geographically, but how did it become Africa. such a thing So in Spain? So, well, Spain has, one of the things about Spain is that it has um, influences of all kinds of culture. Uh, sure. North African in particular. Spain was 700 years Muslim. Oh, was, okay. Okay. I, so you know, I mean, there's. It's not that. In fact, ole. You heard? Have you heard of the expression ole? Yeah. It is typical Spanish. Ole. Ole. All right. Yeah. I am convinced, as are many people, but the conservative faction of Spain really hate hearing this. That that comes from Allah. Really? Fuck yeah. If you just it, yeah. If, if, I mean, I could see how that would be connected. Anytime you cheer. In a Muslim country, that's the cheer country. Yeah, yeah. Everybody goes, Allah, Allah. It starts start pronouncing it a little bit weird. And it's like, Allah, Allah, you know. Yeah. And the accent of the south of Spain very much turns that into Allah because they talk like that, too, you know. Yeah. They hate that. But if, if you listen to a bullfight, it's the same thing. Every time the, the bullfighter does something that the audience appreciates, everybody yeah. explodes into Allah. Allah. Yeah, and it sounds exactly like that. So we have a ton of influence from North Africa. I mean, yeah. That yeah. okay. That makes a lot more sense right. now um, that you've described it a little bit. Yeah. So it's called a friction drum. I found out in my adulthood that that's a friction drum. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's an instrument considered a, an integral <laughs> part of the well-to-do Christmas celebrating echelon. Oh, I could not imagine a bunch of like well-to-do conservatives here trying to use that drum in public. It's a good training um, exercise for a lot of things, you know? Well, I feel like I've been training all my life to play that drum. <laughs> I would be an expert. It's a good, yeah, it's a good exercise for um, your high school days, too. <laughs> So there you have it. Thumbomba. Thumbomba. Thanks for indulging. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is that, Fonz, you actually made this graphic that we've got up on screen here. Mm -hmm. And it's a representation of the 12 facts of Christmas done up in like a little circular dial. So it's kind of like points on a clock, essentially. So mm -hmm. for every hour, there is a, mm -hmm. a factoid, essentially. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do, and for any of you following at home... We'll actually provide a link so you can see this as well. But what I want to do is go through this with you because you have done all of this. You've done all this research. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would like to just sort of read this aloud and then sort of discuss these points. Sure. I just, yeah, sure. Um, this is, I just want to explain what this is too a little bit more. So this is an infographic. Um, I used to call them simplographic because it's not about data. It's about it is about data, but it's not about quantifiable. It's about making it simple. It's yes, it's it's it, exactly. It's it's about not quantifiable data like a usual infographic, right? Movie, where you're seeing like amounts of things, and yep, it's about um, tidbits of information. And so, in this particular case, uh, what I did was for Christmas, I researched. 12 different facts, and following the song, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, Yeah, I researched 12 different factoids um, or facts from which, uh, of pagan or other roots of the Christmas celebration, so the origins of where Christmas comes from, so that's what right, we're Right, right, right. So, number 12 on the dial, the date. Celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th was a custom that was started 440 years after his death. The Romans borrowed the birthday from that of one of their many solar deities, Sol Invictus, the unconquerable sun during the winter solstice. Interesting. So you're telling me everything I've heard about the reason we celebrate Christmas, like 
growing up in a somewhat southern family. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because we're celebrating the the birth of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's all just made up by the Romans. Um, it's made up by the Catholic Church, in fact. Um, so, like we said, um, the birth of Christ, I think it's supposed, it's suspected to be May. It's like May or I'm April, not right? Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. And what happened was um, 500 years into Christendom being big, yeah. the Roman Empire, which was, you know, the guys who really um, made it mainstream. Right, right, right. Um decided they they wanted to have a day to to make it a big celebration and there already was a celebration almost worldwide almost every culture celebrates the winter solstice it's right. a huge thing exactly and what we were talking about earlier it's a whole like you know we need to keep warm in the north hemisphere it's like um did, did our harvest crop did we make it through another year you know let's enjoy the rebirth of the sun so all that stuff if Actually, if you look at the popes today, um, so mm-hmm. you would you would think that the priests of Christ would wear um, what Jesus used to wear, like you know, humble clothes of a carpenter from Judea. You would think so, yeah. yeah. And yet they wear all these gold things. And so if you stop and think about it, these are Byzantine dresses. So these are okay. the, the high priests of and the Byzantine Empire. If you if you research it, we will make an episode about this because it's really interesting is actually the continuation of the Roman Empire. They consider themselves Romans. And so they're the ones that picked up the date, essentially, and sort of Shanghai'd it? Well, yeah, because well, the popes, the Vatican, yeah, yeah. is all late Roman Empire dresses and looks. And if you look at it, I'm going to put something on screen, too. If you look at some of the ways the popes and the, uh, the bishops dress, one of them actually holds a big scepter with a sun dial on it. Uh, so it comes from, so they did have, the solstice is the rebirth of the sun. It's the, the point in which the sun is lowest in the skies and then starts getting higher and higher the rest of the year. Got it. So it's considered the birth of the sun and sun. the sun in many cultures is a worshiping de- Oh yeah, that, that is the deity because it's the life giver. Right. So the Romans were really, really smart about telling everybody, hey, don't throw, don't burn that temple down. It's the, you, you were worshiping this old you go- just never goddess knew. there, but yeah. you didn't know that it's a Virgin Mary. So you can keep, keep the temple up there, just repurpose it. They're really good about repurposing other people's beliefs so that they don't get salty right. when they get invaded about losing their idols. Right. So the one thing that I think they did was really smart is like, we have this huge solstice celebration. We have to Christianize it. So in the year 440 AD, they decided to make it, okay, we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ, not the birth of the sun. Yeah. And, that makes a lot of sense. And one more thing I want to say before we move on to the next one is I actually heard this when I was 12, and uh, my parents were, were Christian, Catholic, but Christian, followers of Christ. Sure, yeah. I heard once somebody tell me that Catholics weren't Christian. I had to explain to them where the word came from. So so a Christian priest in church during Mass explaining to us, saying, we really don't know when our Lord was born. We borrowed this from a pagan. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So it's this is known. Like, research it. This is known. Right. So sure enough, there's going to be people who are going to go, well, I don't no, need to research it. You've researched it. Well, God told me this. and you know, No, but there's places <laughs> where they're going to tell you that's not true. But I've heard priests, Christian priests saying, the first time I heard it was from Christian priests inside a church during Mass. Right. Saying, smiling, you know, smiling to saying, Really, peeps, we don't really know when he was born. Please tell me he said peeps. We, what's that? <laughs> I said, please tell me he said peeps. I wish he would have, but it, he was speaking Spanish. <laughs> so he said peepholes. No, okay. So, so yeah, so just so you know, this is not something that's uncontested or unknown. Mm-hmm. Some people will say no, but those people probably, if they ask them, why do you know, they'll tell you that because. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay. 
Very cool. There's that. And that's why we have the date of December 25th. Well, most of us have that date, but we'll touch on that a little later. Okay, so moving on to the birth of the sun. So part of what you were already talking about, you kind of dipped into the second one a little Mm -hmm. bit here. Uh, So for anyone following along, this is number one on the dial. You got the analogy at this point. Uh, So the next one we're going to read here is the adoration of a sun god was not just a practice of the Roman Empire. The ancient Mayan, Aztec, Egyptian, Chinese, Indonesian, Mesopotamian and Indian civilizations all rendered cult to the solar aster. Many did so during the winter solstice when in the northern hemisphere. The sun dies or stands still every December 21st, reaching its lowest point in the heavens. It's resurrection after three days on December 25th when it starts to rise again day by day. So you basically already covered up on this and describing part Mm -hmm. of the last one. You sort of dipped into this one. So it's actually really interesting to think that these cultures, I mean, it makes sense that it's an actual thing they can see in the sky every single day. And it, it brings life. Like, that is the thing that causes crops to grow. That is the thing that gives people warmth. Like, that is what helps us live. So it makes a lot of dang sense for people to attribute that to a god. And, yeah, and also I want to call attention to another little interesting factoid here is a lot of people also tie the whole resurrection of three days after he died. So, you know, like Jesus Christ later, yeah. when he dies 33 or something, 30-something years later, yeah. um, he is purported to have died and risen again three days later. Um, a lot of people like to establish a parallelism between what happens during the winter solstice with the sun. And some of them even tie the myth of to a prior myth, prior to Jesus Christ, of death and rebirth of the sun that the church actually literally tied it together. So oh, okay, okay. There are some scholars that actually say that a lot of myth and, and mythology and religion in other cultures is allegorical or symbolic. Sure. And the Christian church is the first one to try to start taking things literally. Going like, <laughs> this actually happened. So, for example, I'm going to say something that some people consider blasphemy, but it's well documented. And if you want to research, go out and research it. For example, the fact that the Virgin Mary... In no place in the Bible is it mentioned she's a virgin. What is said is that she, she conceived Christ without sin. Ah, that's different. The, the very, the very thing that needs to be said is the without sin. So maybe a poet in the so between myth and dogma, there's always poetry and symbolism. So right. some poetry decides to say she was a virgin in the sense it's a symbolic sense. She's a virgin in the sense that she's committed no sin. Right. She's a pure woman. And what they actually say is she's pure. They don't say she's a virgin. They say she's pure. But some cultures just immediately make, establish that. Right. They just make the connection that Mm -hmm. one has to mean the other. Clearly. So interesting things there to note, you know, between cult, dogma, uh, beliefs, and symbols and myths. Right. Right. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is the star and the three kings. Now, this is... This, this one I personally felt was pretty interesting mm-hmm. just because of how it connects up with astrology. But let me read this for you. On December 24th, Sirius, the brightest star in the heavens, rises over the horizon following the sunset if viewed from the south-southeastern sky. Sirius aligns with the three strongest lights in the Orion belt, now are known to many as the Three Kings. Some connected that this was what started the legend about a star in the east follow, uh, being followed by the Three Kings of Orient, which announced the birth of a new light that shined above all others. 
Now, does that sound like a familiar story to anyone else here who grew up listening to a bunch of Christmas tales? So um, I wanted to ask, because I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure in the States, I know in Britain they do, but you guys do know about the Three Kings of Orient, right? You, we don't know the Three Kings of Orient, we just know the song that goes like, we three kings, do, 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 do. One in and a taxi, two in a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a bunch of those. We three kings of Orient art. Well, there was, so, yeah, we three kings yes. of Orient so, art. So there is the Christmas song that I knew about, uh, and so I know reference of the Three Kings. Okay, so the, the story of the three kings is that they get announced there are three kings of three different kingdoms around Judea, which is, you know, today Palestine. Yes. And they get announced by an angel, all three of them, the birth of the king of kings or the Messiah. And so they follow a star. The Khan of Khans. They, they follow a star. <laughs> they come and worship um, baby Jesus. Yes. So, and they're following a star. So this is something that's actually contested. It's um, some, I've seen it in some sources, mainly the Zeitgeist movie, which is heavily contested in many things. Mm-hmm. Um, they just make, you know, they make very interesting points, but they also don't offer enough evidence for a lot of things. So go out and research it. But oh, there's an American uh, writer, her name's Zachariah S. Okay. That's her pen name, at least. Zachariah or Akariah? Akariah. Okay, Akariah. S. The, the initial S. Well, and, yeah. if it's her pen name, she should consider making it a real name. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah. Um, so she is well known for um, contesting the fact that Chris, the entire Christendom is borrowed from all kinds of little myths. Right, right, right. And the movie Zeitgeist makes a, a good summary of how Christ is based on the figures of different myths in um, Greek culture, Chinese culture, Indian culture. Like just from all over the place. Yeah. The thing about it is Zeitgeist, the movie Zeitgeist has a ton of holes in terms of evidence of certain things. It just talks about conspiracy theories in general. Sure. So it's been very debunked. Akarias is not so much. She's a scholar, so she's done, she's done a, a little bit more homework. I have not read her book. I've read about her. Okay. But that's what I'm mentioning. So a lot of this stuff about the Three Kings and the, the Stars and the Orion, um, I've only seen it in one source online that I know of. Okay. So that's why this is, of, of all of the facts in this um, simplographic, this is probably the more... This the is most like the more contested one. Of them. I just find it interesting. Cause right. It's, it's really interesting that three stars follow the bigger star to see the birth of the sun. Right. And then that is kind of what stems the whole world. There were three kings and they were, and then they, all of a sudden they're on camels and all of a sudden one of them has a turban and all this thing that the telephone game builds on over time. <laughs> over know? time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's how myths and lore and legend gets built is that it's like little bits that get stacked on over time and built up and built up and built up. I mean, we can see that with anything, mm-hmm. not just Christmas, but even like a vampire story, mm-hmm. like the whole how vampires came to being. But that, that's that's a different topic. Yeah, we'll talk about together. Vlad the Impaler another day. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it's, it's not unbelievable to see that, like, what – we now know is like this was Christmas is just like a billion different things that have been all stacked together over time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that is what I love about all of this mm-hmm. is just getting to see how that kind of like unwinds and unravels to like, and the actual truth is it's all of these things. Right. <laughs> Folklore is a huge cell phone game. Right. Exactly. So yeah. So you want to do the next one? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, so the next one here is a legacy of Druids. Now, I personally like druids, but that's just from a D&D point of view. So any of y'all play D&D out there, my druid party, you know you know what's up. I like druids because I just like the shit. It's really interesting. It is, it is really cool in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one says, the Yule Log, 
or Yule log, if you're uh, from my Scandinavian friends, what's up? So the Yule log, the mistletoe, the holly wreaths, and the elves, nature's children, are all a legacy of sacred myths from the Druidic cult in pagan Europe. Now that I can totally buy. Mm-hmm. Like that one just makes a lot of sense. That one's really straight up, yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty straightforward. And it's just interesting to think that Santa, if you know, it, it, for any of you that believe in Santa Claus, the fact that Santa has a workshop full of elves, mythical creatures, him being a mythical creature in himself, from essentially. The Nordic, from the Nordic uh, mythology, too. Exactly. Uh, that Those are the ones just making all of the little, like, toys and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets a little harder to believe that the more that we make like electronic toys because it was like oh it's like hand carved wooden toys and little cars and everything yeah that's believable Mm -hmm. but now it's like game boys and i'm like i'm pretty sure these elves aren't up there all like like putting electrodes and stuff together to make these game boys well the thing is when when i was a kid one of the things that really was interesting to me was the fact that um the whole christmas was mixed with you had the look of the hebraic um Judas Mesopotamian kind of looks right in the nativity play in school. Yeah, but then all of a sudden the elves start looking like something out of the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more Celtic, you know. And then yeah. s- some things look Roman as hell, you know. And so all that stuff as a kid that was being taught a lot of history. We've talked about this, you know. I think we didn't have Game of Thrones. We had actual history, and it was fascinating in and of itself. Right. And you're tying all these different things together. These are from different times and different looks and different, you know, why. And it's really interesting that they're all amalgamated together and, <laughs> and it's, that part is actually fascinating and that's part it's of a it holiday is, chimera yeah <laughs> which is an awesome way to think about it actually yeah so um yeah never mind your other holidays this one has all you want yeah. <laughs> literally everything you could ask for it, it is a melting pot I, I do think so the reason i bring up the whole thing about like elves and because when i was growing up it was told to me that elves are making all of the toys and for a while, I kind of bought that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's going to be a harder and harder pill to swallow the more, like, the further down the line we go as far as technology and toys, getting new pieces of technology and all this stuff. I mean, like, is the legend going to evolve at some point yeah, that the elves are no longer making the toys? The elves are just outsourcing the toys at a really affordable price. They'll modify it. They'll modify it. As we'll see in other points, you know, it's all kind Did you know that Santa gets all these toys donated ahead of time so that he can distribute them to the boys and girls around the world? Well, this is what I'm trying to get at, though. So, because this evolves, and like, for example, gift-giving has not always been in every Christmas in every part of the world and all these things get tied together right to your point the myth does modify yeah and it's, it's going to have to it's a very US thing of you to be thinking about whoa how does the distribution chain work because no one else in another country <laughs> is thinking about it. they're just thinking the elves bring things because it's magic and they, they don't care, like, well, who's fabricating the electronics? Like, is this fab- being fabricated in China? Well, it's and just the fact that... What are the distribution costs uh, involved in? You know what I mean? Like, I don't care about distribution that. costs. It's more about the fact that, like, in a lot of Christmas movies, when they talk about Santa's workshop and the elves, they always show the elves, like, actually making the toys. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm like, at least from what I grew up with, that's going to have to change. Because, like, I don't even think my little brother would buy that anymore. He just thinks Santa brings the gifts. That's all I care about. So the next one we're going to move on to here is caroling and wassailing. 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 So the word wassail comes from the Old Norse wassail, 
uh, to be of good health. It's the origin of the tradition of visiting neighbors on Christmas Eve and drinking to their health. Speaking of harassing neighbors, caroling, popularized by St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. who was the first to have Christmas plays sung in languages other than Latin. The word is derived from the old French carole. I I don't know. I don't... Carole. Yeah. Carole. Say it in English. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's... You you have it italicized. I want to try and say it with French. Carole. Like, try and say it with French, but that just sounds Hispanic. Old French doesn't even sound like like Marvel face. Um, So, from the old French carol, a circle dance accompanied by singers, which is literally what it meant. Mm -hmm. So, really, people would just... I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't really picture nowadays people coming, like my neighbors coming over just to share a drink with me. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because, like, you probably shoot them nowadays. No, I wouldn't say that. I would just say I would Get find off my property. <laughs> I would find it alarming if somebody just showed up on my door with some drink and said, "Hey, we're going to drink to you." And I would question, "All right, what's in the drink? Who right. are you?" But that's because the social paradigms have changed so much. Right. But if you think about, let's go back to what we're talking about—the survival celebration. Right. So you think about in the old world where we don't have all these electronics and all this uh, infrastructure, and oh, yeah, it's literally like a small village of like 20 people knowing your neighbors and that's why all the christmas look in fanfare is around that villagey kind of look in the winter with snow right you know because it's still so it's celebrated in florida where none of that is visible <laughs> you know? but think about it this way like if you're in an old farming scandinavian say or germanic um you know village right neighbors are really important they're the guys that help you when there's a big storm that tears your barn down and here in minnesota some people can relate to that you know yeah your neighbors are Absolutely. super important and on the on the coldest nights, on the nights everyone's celebrating, it's a semi tipsy. They're trying to forget about the scary winter that they have to survive, and also yeah, yeah. there's lights everywhere, and everybody's trying to merry make and drink. Going from door to door, reminding people, "Hey, I'm your ally. Um, I'm glad you're alive. I want to wish you health. Um, drink with me." Absolutely. is a great way to bond with people. And so there's a there's a really good social, you know, um, aspect to that that that's very valid. And clearly, you know, the Norse who are survivors in of themselves, like the Vikings who live in the fjords. And they're like tough, hardy farmers. And every once in a while, they're like, we're not going to make it this winter. You want to go Viking? You know? <laughs> that's where the it's origin pillage. That's where the origin of the Viking piracy came from. Like, eventually, it turned into a full-blown piracy. But originally, it was like, hey, you know, Lars, we're fucked. You know? <laughs> we need to get some stuff. Let's go Let's go down in England and get some shit to eat. Because, you know, that's kind of what, let's build a drakkar real quick. You know, so that's kind of what that was. Um, so there, there's a lot, a big feeling of community there. And right. It makes a lot of sense of like, I'm going to go drink to your health. And so, well, so tomorrow I'm going to go to your house and drink to your health. How do you, what do you think of that? You well, know? okay. Yeah, and, what's <laughs> hell, and then you all get into a circle, which is also like a, a common, a common thread in a lot of cultures, like singing in a circle. Yeah. To yeah. To remember yeah. community and survival. Like remember. Oh, even, okay. Ring so around the rosy even. It's kind of like, a, it's, well, it's associated with the plague, but it's like, it's like, <laughs> let's, you know, let's, let's, conjure away this evil together and right it's, as it's a community circling the wagons i mean there's a lot of those right repetition patterns in the whole so seeing in the care in a circle the, like, the whole know, strength in numbers which is are, a very primal primal thing totally totally to so there's that there that makes a lot of dang sense from the french old world french carole that we don't know how to carole. pronounce i was just going to say carole because hey 
It almost looks like Creole. Anything that I don't know how to pronounce, I'll just do like Christopher Walken. You know, <laughs> Christopher Walken. Carole, French Carole. Wow, it was a French Carole. All right, so the next one we're going to talk about is Saint Claus. The inspiration for Santa Claus was actually Saint Nicholas, Bishop of Myra, Turkey, in the early fourth century. The Dutch version, Sinterklaas, is imported to the United States by the early settlers from Holland. The Byzantine holy man had a reputation for secret gift giving, and his legend later incorporated elements from similar but pagan-inspired European figures like Father Frost and Père Noël, giving birth to the modern Santa. Now, that is a... So, we're talking about one guy, St. Claus, or... Pretty, pretty huge, I would say, in this culture. Who essentially is an amalgamation of like all these different stories brought together. So like the gift giving was brought from something else. Uh, Father Frost, so being related to winter and bringing all of that together. Well, it's, it's kind of related, but hold on. What's remarkable of the Bishop of Myra is not just the gift giving, but that his gift giving in particular was focused to children that were poor, that didn't that were dispossessed. They didn't have... They, yeah, they didn't actually have anything. So, yeah, so he would give have oranges for them. I, I was going to ask, was it like fruit and stuff I that think he would predominantly so. give? About? I think so. I've read different accounts, but yeah, and, and just a little bit, but yeah. Because I mentioned like oranges and like citrus, that would be like a big deal, especially for somebody that doesn't have a lot of money, can't afford fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. Like a good orange. Mm-hmm. Especially in, in the winter. Well, I don't know if in Turkey, yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, during the, during colder months and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I don't think he's, I don't think that he, I don't know if he's tied to Christmas or not. I don't know if he did that during Christmas or always. He's definitely a saint. Right. Um, and he was a holy man of sorts. And then Father Frost and Père Noël is interesting because um, those evolutions eventually start incorporating things from like um, the winter, um, Death Moroth was Mr. Mr. Old Man Winter in Russia. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Images. I'll show you the images. He looks yeah, exactly yeah. like Santa, but more decked out. It's super cool. Yeah. He's based in Odin. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, because a lot of people in, in the north, you know, during the winter, who's like the big man that brings the winter around, you know, the big white bearded dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, all that stuff. So it's, things start getting blended there with different, different. Interesting. Yeah. I see. That's, that's the part I like about this is that people, you know, they, they would look at something like Christmas and they would think, oh, Christmas, it's a time for like getting together with your neighbors and gift giving. But it's so much more, especially when you start like scratching below the surface and there's just so much cool lore and factoids behind it. That's what I love about this shit too. That's why we were talking about that one time when we were talking about like fantasy and, and stuff, how cool it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, well, you know, it's as cool as like the the whole mythological, <laughs> you know, we have so much stuff in history to, right. to figure out from this. Except, you know, nowadays you can't really go around being like, have you guys heard about Christmas? It's so cool. Yeah. Like, if you read the book, like it started here and it goes to here and then it evolves to this. <laughs> no, but you can come up with a ton of stories. What do you think big um, – the, the great screenwriters, you know, come up with stories based on I mean, these yeah, they, all the time. They do it all the time. So, yeah. Actually, Game of Thrones <laughs> pulls from this stuff all the time. And they pull from history a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. a mixture of history and folklore. Well, yeah. That's which is great. Which is what we're unearthing right here. Do you want to get to the next point? I love you, Game of Thrones. Get to the next point. Yeah, that's fine. All right. So now we're going to 
jump around on the clock here a little bit. We're going up to 11. We're not cranking it to 11. We're just going over to number 11. The next one we're going to be looking at is actually the Epiphany. So early Christians celebrated Christmas on Epiphany, manifestation in January 6th. Orthodox Christian countries such as Armenia and Greece still consider this the real Christmas. It's the day when the Christ was officially announced. On January 6th, Germany and Spain celebrate the visitation of the wise men from the Orient, the Magi, the truth seekers of the Zoroastrian faith? Zoroastrian. Zoroastrian faith. Greeks liked to think the Magi had superpowers, and this led to the modern meanings of magician and magic. So they actually thought these guys had magical powers, essentially. Yeah, so this is this is one of the long ones, because it, it involves different things. Number one, the 6th of January is a very significant date. For starters, because... Orthodox Christians, like the Greeks, for example, yeah. that's when they celebrate Christmas. Not on the 25th, like other people around the world. Correct. Not on the solstice, not coinciding with the winter solstice. In Spain and Germany, however, um, we do celebrate the 25th, we celebrate the 24th, but we also celebrate the 6th. Oh, and so that's it's like a whole holiday week, hell essentially, yeah. for you guys. So one thing we used to do with my daughter when she was a kid, yeah, I had her after Christmas and she, she was with her mom during Christmas and then I would have her after and then I would take her to Spain every single year uh-huh. and in Spain it's still Christmas until January 6th <laughs> so we get the prices dropped off after December 25th here so we get a ton of super cool gifts for all her buddies and cousins right, right, right. at really cheap prices because they had just dropped right in time for when Spain everything is still super expensive because the gift giving day is January 6th so it even, hasn't even happened yet Right, so okay. Christmas has been celebrated. Okay. But the you Three guys Kings were gaming the system. The, the Spaniards make big <laughs> holidays, so we're, we're known for that. But yeah, and uh, so, so yeah, so um, the gift givers, the Three Kings, happen on January 6th, 25th December is Christmas. And then the Magi, here's the other story. Yeah, so yeah. the wise men who are confused with the Three Kings, and this is where they blend it together. The wise men were, consi- were um, thought to be the Magi and the Zoroastrian faith is the Persian. That's the Persian religion of Got it. the old Persian Empire. Have you heard of the Friedrich Nietzsche book, So Spoke Zoroaster? Uh, no. So Zoroaster is a kind of Moses of sorts of the Persian faith. Got it. Okay. And uh, so that's why it's called Zoroastrian faith. And this, the priests of that religion were called the Magi. Okay. That the, makes sense. And the Magi used to do, they were kind of like druids of sorts, and they would have like trickery, and they, and they would know sciences, and they would mix it all together right. to look like they were wizards. So, so they were just really educated men that knew how to like pull a trick or two together. The origin of wizards is that. So like when, right. In, in, in the times of, you know, in the, in the proto, in pagan times back then, you know, a druid or a Magi would be somebody that would know how to predict, for example, it's going to rain just by looking at the... Right, the sparrows just flying low, and and so the, the the common people would think they were magicians. They knew so many things, magicians. So the word magician and the word magic comes from magi, and which makes sense. The three wise men, the three wise kings of Orient, are thought to have been Persian wizards, Persian <laughs> Persian magi that, that came in, um, you know, to Judea okay. at the time of the interesting. So that all of that blends together in a really interesting way. So here's a new there, there there's a new piece for when you're making your uh, Christmas sci-fi campaign or book or whatever you're doing Christmas wizards 
add it in. Because it's technically, historically, somewhat factual, according to folklore. And, and probably you can rip it off like the Game of Thrones guys in <laughs> history. Because it's public domain shit. Hey, don't rag on Game of Thrones. I love me some Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, I just got excited. Next. <laughs> All right, so the next one we're going to move to is now going back down to six, so we're going to ten here. Druids believed evergreen trees were protected by spirits that inhabited them and kept them alive while other plants lost their leaves in the winter. Evergreens also symbolized eternal life to the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, and Hebrews. Scandinavians used them to scare away evil and feed the birds. Ancient pagans venerated these plants by decorating them with fruit and candles, and the Germans incorporated this custom into Christmas around the 15th century AD. That's correct. So that, this is a really simple one that I was fascinated to learn about, but um, it makes total sense. So a lot of cultures, not just the Druids, the Druids mainly, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. even in ancient Egypt, and um, think that evergreens are possessed or protected somehow sp- by spirits because they're the only tree that survives the winter. Yeah, it's actually still looking alive. They don't dro- exactly. They don't drop the, the, the leaves. So what kind of magic is? Un- so they use them to for very different, many different purposes. You know, to ward off um, evil, all kinds of you know to try to derive their powers from them. Yeah. And so it's a celebration during the winter months, especially in the Nordic countries where, like I said, Christmas is a celebration of like, hey, we're going to make it. We're surviving so far. It's dark, but we got a fire and we got a good leg exactly. of lamp here and we got good wine, mold wine and stuff. Yeah. This is the, the very tree that is like reminding you if they make it, we can too. We can be protected by the same. Ah, that, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. This is the tree you venerate. Please, um, Tell us your secret or help us, you know, through it. So appease the spirits, give spirits mm-hmm. like the fruit and everything you would leave on the tree. Yeah. And I love the fact that when I was really, really young, I remember that some people in Germany, when I lived in Germany, some people did put candles on the trees. Do, what? Like actual candles? Dude, that's what they put originally on them. So like, was it in a holder or something? Yeah, or are you just going to light that tree up on fire? Have, well, you have to know, A, you have to know how to do it. B, you, you have to know where to put it. B, three, if it's outside, you only light it and it only lasts X amount of time lit because the wind is going right. to take care of that. Uh, See, like, there was wax dripping from some of these things. Yeah, you just have to be watchful of them. Like they, they have an advent calendar in those countries that my mother still does in, in the house, where you make a wreath of pine. Okay, and then you put four candles in it every Sunday before Christmas. You, you just light, light it before, up, and they end up melting on top of it. And nothing of that. Like, I mean, of course, if you leave it overnight, it will. Right, but you're usually when it's lit, you're watching it. So. The fact that the original trees, and I've seen old pictures of them, they have fruit, they have like pears and apples, they look right. beautiful with pears and, and they apples. were sort of like tied on with twine. And yeah, yeah, just as if as if it was a tree of plenty that gives all kinds of fruit. And then the little candles. A giving and, tree, as it were. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> some of them I've seen, they had bulbs, like protected bulbs. Really? Okay. But yeah, so really small things, so they look, they almost look like bulbs. You know? Yeah. So that will protect it from lighting up. Also, it's not, like I said, it's not a dried you know, well, no, but I mean, what, no, no, no. <laughs> it still I, sounds like a danger to me. I know what you mean. I, I, yeah. I mean, I've seen pines inside a house dry up with the heaters exactly. and become a fire hazard. So I get where yeah. you're coming from. Exactly. But, you know, there's many ways to deal with that if you're conscious of what you're doing. So the next one we're going to talk about here is the name. The word Christmas comes from the old English Christmasy, literally Christ's mass. Christ or Zitros Christos Christos 
uh, is Old Greek for the anointed. The ma- and mass is from vulgar Latin, massis, or what exactly does Eucharistic... So that's literally just mass, right? So yeah, the Eucharist, I should have known because I was raised Catholic. I no longer am religious, but uh, is it's got something to do... Uh, it's. I think it's the actual name of the Mass, the, right, the okay. rite in the Mass. I might be corrected by a Catholic, please do, but I think that's what it is. The Eucharist is what they do when they remember Christ and they they do the whole reenactment of the last dinner and they say, this is my body. Uh, is I my, got it, I got it, okay. I think that's what that is. And then um, Christos is, um, is the anointed, that is ancient Greek. Sure. And Miss, I don't know how to pronounce that in vulgar Latin, uh, but yeah, Miss really means, Eucharistic service just means Mass. Right. So what we know is right, Mass. Right, right, right. Uh, so that's really what it is. Christmas is the Mass of Christ. Pure and simple. Because, yeah, it's just like the celebration of, you know. Which the, anyone who has ever just broken down Christmas into Christ Mass, you were pretty much spot on. You mm-hmm. just never knew it. <laughs> we never knew it for a fact until now we confirmed it. <laughs> so the next one we're going to move on to uh, is actually the gift givers. And these next couple ones are actually more of like the denser ones that we have here on the list. So the gift givers. Christmas gift givers are different in different countries. For example, England, France, and the USA and Holland all have variations of Santa Claus or Father Christmas. Greece has St. Basil, Spain and South America, the Three Kings, Germany has Christkind, Christkind. Christkind uh-huh. uh, the angelic child of elfin qualities. Italy and Russia have variations of a benevolent witch, and some Slavic countries and parts of Russia have Father Frost, inspired in Viking god Odin. Scandinavians have a variety of gnomes called the Tomti. Now, Having been to Sweden a couple of times, the depictions of the Tomti are just quite amazing, and I have never in my life seen a taller hat on such a small person. Are they like the, what they're, they call the, uh, not the gnomes, the, yeah, they're called, in Spain they call those the gnomes. It's like the, the little Christmas gnomes. gnomes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not always like ceramic, but they're often like handmade, like yeah. fabric and everything, and they're like this big. With a hat that's like this big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like this guy? It kind of, yes. If you were to put like a little tiny man under that tree. So the colon, the colon is kind of a graphic um, tie-in to the Christmas theme. Yeah, yeah, it is. Kind of, it's recurrent. Yeah, I would say so for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I, maybe it's even a callback to the shape of the pine tree. Maybe it's Ooh. funny to me because uh, it, yeah, it's funny because like when I did this, the the two things. The two items here that were foreign to me were the Tomte yeah. and the witch, the malevolent witch. That, that one is still, like, that one kind of surprised me to know that there is, we like, should look at that. A, well, a, a witch, essentially. So a benevolent witch to me is equivalent as a sorceress. Yeah. Which is, in pagan culture, is not that uncommon, particularly matriarchal, you know, prior to... Yeah, the, it would be the sort of what is referred society. to as, like, the white witch or the good witch or okay. something along those lines. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I wasn't familiar with that term, but um, it, it does make sense. And, again, all of this ties into, as you can see, it ties into some type of sorcerer, wise men, wise women. So, dru- druidic... Um, a sorceress, to me, is, is more of a druidic figure, too, for some right. reason. I kind of tie it back to the, that period more. So, um, so which really is in Spain actually it, it works that way which 
now it's charged with a lot of negative connotations, but doesn't necessarily have to be an evil witch. A witch can be a sorceress of good intentions, like a white witch, like you Exactly, said, so. yeah. So the next one we're going to move on to here is actually Saturnalia. So every year during the period between December 17th and December 23rd, the ancient Romans celebrated a festival in honor of the god Saturn. The festivities typically consisted of a large public banquet, followed by a private gift-giving and continued partying in a carnival-type atmosphere. The custom of giving presents for Christmas is originated in this Roman holiday. So that's like we have parts of folklore like St. Nicholas or Niklos giving gifts in general. Mm -hmm. But like it really originated, the reason that we still do it now comes from this part of it here. So it was the Saturnalia. So yeah, well you have to think we've talked about several things. We've talked about Saint Nicholas, we've talked about Father Frost, we've talked yeah, about we Christian. So we have the gift yeah. givers. So those all existed. The tying of gift giving to Christmas is originating in Saturnalia. Got it. So th- those were always tied to like sort of winter festivities in general to this holiday is where this comes in and i think also there's two aspects of this there's the gift giver on the one hand is the mysterious person that leaves gifts at your door or in the sock or to the kids when they're sleeping they never see them right right as opposed to this one this one's more about when we meet and have dinner together and we exchange gifts so i don't know if you do that here okay in spain we do that like for example here's so at gift giving time it's like here's one for Robert from Alfonso. Yeah. Oh, well, let me see what you got me. As an adult, we do that now. Right. So that, that exchange part, that's a Saturnalia. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so there's just the fact of giving gifts to each other. Mm-hmm. And Saturnalia was a party, let me tell you. Right. Like the Romans went all in. And it also had a curious aspect that I didn't document here that is really funny. I always like about Saturnalia where there was role inversion. So really? for example, for a, for a day, the slave could give was could order the master around and stuff like that. Really? Obviously, if they had a sense of humor, because probably right, not right. every master would indulge in it. We're not doing something in this household, but yeah, I guarantee they wouldn't have let Spartacus do that. But uh, <laughs> but they would do, yeah. But 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 they would they would be like, well, as you know, too, like in, in Roman times, as in as in many cultures that had slaves, right? There was also relationships in the household, like oh, benevolent relationships. Some people, with, you're a slave, you're you're owned by the household, but but you're, you're technically part of the family, part of the family. exactly. Right. And you were born there, and your parents were slaves too, and you know. Right. Right, right, and so right. in some places it actually has a benign sort of character. Um, so I could totally see where that were like the major domo, like the the, the meaning the butler, the person that organizes the right. whole, administers the entire household, and right. orders around the other slaves. That person could help them become a boss, and because I mean that person has a relationship with them. Exactly, exactly. And they kind of like joke around, and you know, and so there was a lot of things like that where that would happen. Like that's the, really cool. The kids could order their parents around, and, and so there, there'd be <laughs> now that's fun. something we should bring back for a day. Well, I yeah. think that would be fun because the god Satan is a really interesting um, god too. Like and it has right. that element of Loki that we want to talk about too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it has that this mischievous element to yeah. it. Uh, it depends on what culture, because another Saturn is like the, I think he's the father of Zeus or something, and he's a really scary one. Really, like, so, Saturn is interesting. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that one. Now, for anyone else that's also listened to our etymology podcast, when it says carnival type atmosphere, y'all know what's up. You know what's going on. Yeah, which brings us back to the Sambomba. 
<laughs> no, leave the Saboba out of this. <laughs> Celebrating survival when the winter of things. Now we finally reached the last one on our list. Number 12. And a partridge in a pear tree. No, but for real, partridge in a pear tree. That's the name of this one. Yeah. Now, the song... The 12 Days of Christmas counts the days from December 25th to the Eve of Epiphany on January 5th, a period known as the Christmas season. All of the gifts in the song add up to 364, a gift for each day of the year, except Christmas. And I bet, just like me, most of you had never even thought to count everything up like that in that song to see how many gifts were given out. I know, that song has always been a, a thing of mystery to me because I would count like the 12 days of Christmas and I would be with the first day of Christmas and I would try to count from December 1 to the 25th and I didn't add up. I yeah, yeah, up yeah. In the 12. So then if I ended, because I was totally missing, let's go back to the whole January 6th thing. Yeah. If you start counting, I think it's on the 25th or the or Christmas Eve mm-hmm. as the first day of Christmas, you land in January 5th, which is the Eve of Epiphany. Right. And that's the first day of Christmas. So, or the 12th day of Christmas. So the Christmas season, I the think, starts from the 25th to the 6th, which now explains why the 25th is not smack on the winter solstice. It's right. not the 21st. It's the 25th because it, it goes 12 days right up to that. Right. That's one thing that I found really interesting because I'd never understood the Christmas season until I read about this. Right. But all my life I was like, this is the stupidest song that makes zero sense. <laughs> and then when you count all the gifts, you know, like, do you remember the lyrics that I don't like? I remember most of them. Three turtle doves. One motherfucking night alone. Yes, I know what you mean. And a partridge. So you start counting all those gifts and you get 364. That's pretty dang cool. Which is very Because that's... Now, obviously, if you just count the gifts from each individual day, you're not going to get there. It's how many times they're referenced throughout the entirety of the song. Right. You start adding exactly. That's the compound Exactly. Yeah. So it's one. Two and then one, yeah. three, two and then one again, and then so on and so Which forth. Which is twelve factorial, I believe. That's the Ooh. that's the mathematical term. I have to ask the engineers at work. Now there is one final thing that we wanted to do, just to sort of send this episode off the right way for the season. And it's not playing the thamboba. No, but it does have to do with this and a couple of these. So I actually went out and got some of these uh, I think these are water buffalo horns and I got these at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival but they actually have straps and they're lined so we can drink out of them and it's just like the traditional horns that you could drink out of when you were doing wassailing. So in order to do this properly we're actually going to use these to drink to our health or your health and my health. And yours. And, and yours. To all of yours. So let's go ahead and let's open this up. So what we managed to get is this nice yeah, sort of... stands for this thing. <laughs> Do you think this, if you put wine here, it'll stay in there? Absolutely not. Right. You're going to have to hold it up. Okay. <laughs> so what we actually got here was a port wine from Portugal. A nice dessert wine. Yeah. And we thought it would be a great little addition here. Real thing. Ooh, that little pop. Gotta love that. Okay. So now let's go ahead and... What's out to your house? That's what's out. And yours. 
Here we go. What's right. we'll sale? Drink hell. Drink. Woo! It's pretty fancy. <laughs> that is that is some tasty stuff. <laughs> Let's go again. What's Drink hell. All right, everyone. That's actually all we have for this episode and all we have for this season. Yeah, we're wrapping up this Christmas. If you made it this far, we really appreciate it. That was that took some. <laughs> we're really impressed actually <laughs> thank you so much for watching for listening subscribing liking commenting all of those things it really means a lot to us yeah season's greetings motherfuckers <laughs> alright until next time stay out of prison and walk in the shade Fucker!